The scripture reading, if you need a Bible or um, if you forgot yours, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And our reading for this morning is found on page 736. We're going to read together Isaiah 52.13 through 53.12. So follow along with me as I read. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, He will see his offspring and he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. It's the word of the Lord. May be seated as we pray. Father, we thank you for this rehearsal 
this retelling, re-singing of the great story, the great song that deserves to be rehearsed and retold and re-sung over and over and over again in any and every way possible. We praise you for your great mercy and grace that though you are infinitely great and worthy and transcendent and in a class by yourself, you did not leave us alone in our rebellion and our sin. You did not wipe your hands of us when we rejected you, but you sent your son and he took on our skin and got dirty with our mess and brokenness and shame, humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a shameful cross, lifted up on that cross so that we could be lifted out of the pit of our sin and shame and slavery to ourselves. So we praise you for your grace to humble yourself that we in our pride might be able to be forgiven and that we might be broken of that pride and then lifted up as your children in love, adopted into your family and no longer having to prove ourselves but knowing who we are because we're yours because we're your sons and daughters. And so we should resonate with the songs of this choir and we should want to lift high the cross because of all that you've done to rescue us and to redeem us from the pit of our own making. And yet, Lord, we continue to deal with our pride day in and day out and we pray that you would humble us this morning. We know that you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. So even this morning, break us of our pride and give grace to the humble. For those who are downcast and depressed and weak, would you lift the downcast and lift the depressed and strengthen the weak and revive those who are barely breathing spiritually? So we cast our cares on you humbly, knowing that it's pride that keeps us from casting them on you. When we try to bear it ourselves, we try to do it in our own strength. We deny our weakness. We downplay it. Try to manage it all on our own. We cast our cares on you, knowing that you care for us and that you will exalt us in due time. So Lord, meet with us and cause those things to happen on the spot as we study your word and as you work on us in our hearts through your word, by your spirit, as we study it. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, the choir has sung of how the Lord Jesus was raised up on the cross. He is the Lamb of God who was sacrificed in our place to take away our sin. And when we really see him lifted up, lifted up to lift us up from, like I said in that prayer, the 
the pit of our own making, the pit of our sin, our guilt, our shame, when we see that His love is so amazing, so divine that it demands all of our life, then we will want to lift high the cross, the cross of the one who was lifted up to lift us up. So I want us to explore those themes a little bit more as we open God's Word um, now and study it together. The Scripture reading, Isaiah 53, um, is one of the main texts. The other one is, is in Isaiah 6. So you may want to have your finger in Isaiah 6 and then also in Isaiah 52 and 53 uh, that we read just a few minutes ago. Um, I don't know about you, but it is not infrequent that I am down. Down over my own sin, down over my own failures, down also over the brokenness and the pain in the world around me, whether it's on the news or just in the people that, that I know that I'm ministering to. It's, it, it's really hard when you see the brokenness that has come in as a result of sin, and it can really just get you down. But, truth be told, I'm also often down because of my pride, which is a little bit ironic. Down because of my pride. I don't like to fail. I want to succeed. I don't like not having it all together. I want to be in control. I don't like people to reject me. I want them to think highly of me. I don't want to be a nobody. I want to be somebody. I don't want to be ignored. I want to be noticed. I don't like to be inferior. I want to be superior. I don't like to lose. I want to win. I don't know if any of you resonate with any of that. If you do, then you'll know that these texts that we're going to look at this morning and the message that the choir, thank you, Beryl and, and Barb and, and Gail, the message that they sung to us, it's for us. We need it. And hopefully we'll see and actually not just see and understand cognitively, but also actually experience, and I'm praying on the spot experience, the humbling, lifting up grace of, the, grace of God. Okay, so let's look at these things together. Um, there's a little outline in the bulletin if that's helpful for you. Um, we're going to look first at Isaiah 6, the glory of the king who is high and lifted up. So turn back to Isaiah 6. In the Pew Bible, it's on page 689. <clears throat> and we'll read the first seven verses, I think. Yep, six or seven. So Isaiah 6, 1 and following. In the year of King Uzziah's death, this is Isaiah the prophet speaking, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train, it's probably better to translate that hem, kings didn't have trains on the robes at that time in history, and so it was most likely the hem, which makes it even more striking. The hem of his robe filling the temple, so Isaiah has this vision. Seraphim, some kind of angelic being 
Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the voice of those created beings, those seraphim, the foundations of the thresholds trembled while the temple was filling with smoke. And then Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Now, this whole section is incredibly important, and um, I encourage you to try to keep it in mind as a whole. But look, as we proceed ahead, but look back and take special note of verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, celebrated king under whose rule Israel, Judah, southern kingdom, prospered greatly. It was a long reign. And they were very prosperous. And he dies in the year of his death. Isaiah saw the real king, the ultimate king, the Lord, sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with his hem filling the temple. So here Isaiah has a vision of the king of kings. It's certainly awesome. I mean, more awesome than we could even begin to fathom. Um, But it's not altogether unexpected, right? The holy God of all creation, of course, is lofty and exalted. We expect that. This is the, the king of glory. So we shouldn't be surprised that this is what it looks like when he is seen. Now, if you're reading along in Isaiah, especially in Hebrew, okay, you'd realize that that phrase lofty and exalted or high and lifted up is, is tying in with some important themes that have already been highlighted in the first five chapters. Most of it actually has to do not with the lofty and exalted glory of the King of Kings, but with the shameful attempts of people like you and me to grab that glory for themselves. So let me just show you quickly what I mean here. It gets started right off the bat, Isaiah 1-2, so you can flip back to the the very beginning. There's quite a bit of irony, quite a bit of wordplay going on here in Isaiah. Look at the second verse of the book. God speaking here, Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. And He says, Sons or children, Children I have reared and brought up. It's actually the same word that's used for lofty in 6.1. But they've revolted against me. So what did God do with his children? What did he do with his people? He lifted them up. Remember when they were slaves in Egypt? He lifted them up. He rescued them. Anything that they were was a result of his bringing up, lifting up grace. So he rescued them from the pit of slavery that was Egypt. And what they did, they actually used his blessings. They used his gifts for self-promotion and selfish ambition. 
And this was rampant during the time of Uzziah's reign. God blessed the nation. They prospered. And in their prosperity, they forgot about him and used all those blessings. They used them like a tool to get what they really wanted. So in short, they're seeking their own glory. And they're puffed up in that. Now, is that just, is this just a history lesson? Or is this exactly the kind of thing that we all have done and continue to do? What do you have, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you did not receive? Why do you boast of it as if you didn't receive it? So we boast, we promote ourselves. We, we can use God. We take what he's given us because everything that we have is from him. We take what he's given us what he's given us for his glory because he's made us for his glory and we use it to exalt ourselves. Now you need to see how they do this in chapter 2. We'll just touch down on a few verses here in chapter 2. So flip ahead to chapter 2. Don't worry, we're not going to, you know, go chapter by chapter through the whole book of Isaiah. Um, But look in chapter 2 at some of the language here. God says, Come, house of Jacob. through Isaiah the prophet. Let us walk in the light of the Lord, for you have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled not with the glory of the Lord. That's what the land, that's what the people should be filled with. But rather, they're filled with the influences from the east. And they're soothsayers like the Philistines, and they strike bargains with the children of foreigners. Their land has been filled with silver and gold, very prosperous, lots of imports, There's no end to their treasures. Their land has been filled with horses. No end to the chariots, so there's military might. They're strong. They're wealthy. Their land has also been filled with idols. They worship the work of their hands, that which their fingers have made. So instead of being filled with the glory of the Lord, as they humbly worship Him and make much of Him because He's great, so man has been humbled. Do you see what's going on there, the irony? See, they they think much of themselves in their prosperity. And they're exalting themselves. But God knows that they're actually bowing down to the work of their hands. So do you see how they're being humbled? It's, it's, It's ironic. You're bowing down to the work of your hands. Do you see how your idolatry is actually humbling you? They're bowing down to created things. So man is abased. And then do not forgive them, which means judgment is coming. And so if judgment is coming, therefore, verse 10, enter the rock, hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord, from the splendor of his majesty. Look at what God's going to do when he judges. The proud look of man will be abased. The loftiness of man will be humbled. These are similar words. There's the same words that we saw high and lifted up. The loftiness of man will be humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty, against everyone who is lifted up, that he may be abased. And it will be against all the cedars of Lebanon that are lofty and lifted up. This is poetic language to talk about the strength and the economic and military and political might of different nations. So cedars of Lebanon represented their worth their, their, uh, their wealth and prosperity. 
And cedars are so tall, lofty and lifted up against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains. A mountain is oftentimes used to refer to a kingdom. Against all the hills that are lifted up, against every high tower, every fortified wall, symbolizing the strength of mankind, against all the ships of Tarshish, and against all the beautiful craft that they take pride in. The pride of man will be humbled. The loftiness of men will be abased, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. But the idols will completely vanish Men will go into the caves and rocks and into the holes of the ground before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he arises to make the earth tremble. So judgment came historically on them in the form of Babylon. And it will come one day when Jesus returns. Now, in between, we are no different. We're no better. We've done and we do the same things. If a poet were to write about our prideful idolatry, they would use different images, okay? Because we don't glory in cedars necessarily. But there are things that we glory in in this country and in our lives, right? The essence is still the same. Our shameful, prideful, glory-grabbing is almost as old as the earth, Remember the serpent's promise, the tempting promise? You're not going to die because God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, we already are made in his image. The only thing we gain here is knowing evil. We already know good. Everything is good, 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 very good. You see the, the lie of it? So that promised step up, another rung on the ladder, led to the fall. And that's what happens with us as well. That promise, you're not going to die, it continues to be hissed at us from all different directions. And we continue to believe it, and pride always eventually leads to a fall. So what do we do? We jockey for position. We do it vocationally. We want to climb the ladder, position ourselves for promotion, often at the expense of our integrity or the good of others as we climb on them. Why? We want the prestige, the accolades, the high ground of success. We we can do it morally. I thank God I'm not like this sinner. We want the high ground and control of moral superiority. And oftentimes, when we want that so bad, it comes at the expense of our integrity because we've got to maintain that so much that we become hypocrites. We've got to hide the fact that it's really not true if we're going to keep the control of the moral high ground. We can do it socially. We want to get in with the right people. This happens with teenagers all the way up. Okay, We want to get in with the right people so we can climb to another height of coolness or somebodyness, it just gets more sophisticated when you're in middle age. In conversation, we do this subtly, not so subtly. <laughs> you hear people, you hear yourself saying, well, that's nothing. Or, oh yeah, well, I, we do it academically. We want the best grades or the degree. Now, certainly you can pursue these things to the glory of God. Okay, I know that. Um, I'm talking about the prideful drivers of these things. Want the best grades, the degree, so that we can be better 
and find our security, success, identity in our achievement. Hang our hat there. We can do it recreationally, avocationally. Sports and music are notorious areas of self-promotion and self-glory. Why do we want to be stronger or faster or better? Why do we want to play better and find that new sound or sound like that famous person? Why? We can do it with our appearance. We want to be more beautiful. We want to be sexier. We want to have a better wardrobe. We want to be looked up to in our beauty or body or taste. We can do it with humor. We want to be funny. We want to be funnier. Why? We want to get in and rise to a place of prominence and win the praise of many. We can do it with supposed humility. You can even co-opt humility for this. You take pride in being the better servant. And you love it when people praise your humility. Sometimes when our prideful attempts to climb stumble, we ooze the toxins of wounded pride. Self-pity is wounded pride. Self-pity says, I deserve to be high and lifted up. But look at all I've had thrown in my path. Look at all I've had to deal with. Do you see it? See it. You need to see it and tell me that you see it. Stroke my wounded ego. Make sure you see why I'm not as high and exalted as I ought to be, as I otherwise would be, had it not been for all these undeserved circumstances. Sometimes pride oozes the green slime of jealousy and envy. I wish I was high and exalted like that. I hate him. I hate her because they are higher than you. And we can become critical because we have to try to bring them down from where we ought to be. And we even secretly savor when one of those people stumbles and falls. So we want to be better, smarter, more beautiful, more in control, funnier. We want to make a name for ourselves. We love the praise of people. It's like a drug. Have you ever noticed that? It's like a drug. So this all seems very personal, internal, intrapersonal. It is internal and interpersonal. But if we leave the telephoto lens on this one, we'll never see the biggest issue of all. Put the wide-angle lens on, and we'll see that the real issue is vertical for these issues. Pride is a cosmically revolutionary impulse. We're talking about cosmic coups here. These are glory-grabbing attempts to usurp the throne of the universe. We want to be on the throne. So pride is not a small thing, at least in one sense. It, maybe I can say it this way. It's a big deal that betrays smallness. So in one sense, it's a small thing. It betrays smallness. But it is not a small thing because it deals with usurping God's rightful place. So how is the king of glory going to respond to that kind of cosmic subversion? If you think back to Isaiah 2, if you think back to Isaiah 6, you get in the presence of a consuming fire who's holy, 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 that's pretty sobering. That one day we're going to face him face to face. I mean, Isaiah, the prophet, 
you know, the holy man of the time, he's calling down curses on himself. Woe is me. He feels like he's coming apart at the seams. I'm undone. I'm ruined. So what's he going to do? Crush us? We are like little clay figures shaking our pathetic little fist at the omnipotent potter. Well, third point, the surprising glory of the king, high and lifted up. So now, go back to the passage that we read for our scripture reading. There's another place in Isaiah where the language lofty and exalted is used in this book. Look at Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant will prosper, or your translation, translation may say, act wisely. He will be high and lifted up. Exact the same phrase as chapter 6. And greatly exalted. Context of Isaiah, we've heard about this servant several times already. So his prosperity and his exaltation is not too surprising. He's obviously an emissary of the king of glory, the same king of glory that we saw back in Isaiah 6. So just as that king of glory was lofty and exalted, so his servant, of course, would be high and lifted up. That's not too surprising. But it is surprising to read on and see how this exaltation is going to happen. Look at verse 14. Just as many were... I think appalled is better than astonished at you. So his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. So the one who's appalling in his uncleanness and distortion is actually the one who's going to cleanse many. Kings will shut their mouths on on account of him. Kings were the patrons of wisdom and prosperity. So behold, my servant will act wisely. So his wisdom is going to shame the wise. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him for what had not been told them they will see and what they had not heard they will understand. And then there's this utter humiliation of his path. Okay, so promising beginning grows up like a tender shoot, but then no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him, despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their face. He's despised. We did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself lifted. High and lifted, it's the same word. Our sorrows he carried. We ourselves esteemed him in our blindness. We didn't get it at first. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Oh, he's cursed. Well, actually, ironically, we were right. (laughs) He was, but he was cursed so that we could be blessed. Pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, chastened for our well-being, scourged so that we could be healed because we're all like sheep that have gone astray into our prideful ditches, We've all turned away to our own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And on and on. So that is surprising. The glory of the king, the glory of this servant who is high and lifted up actually comes through shame. So on this Palm Sunday, roughly 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, to loud cries, as we know of Hosanna, like the choir sang. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel, John 12. They liked to crush our enemies prospect that came with the king's coming, like Greg mentioned. 
But they didn't realize they were the enemies, like Greg mentioned. (laughs) They were the prideful ones. We are the prideful ones who love the glory that comes from people, and we don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. That's what Jesus says in John 5. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? As if the glory from people is really valuable and the glory from God, the, the commendation from God, well done, is worthless. But rather than the king coming to crush us and all of our pathetic pride and glory grabbing, instead this glorious one who was equal with God, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be held on and used to his own advantage, who made himself nothing, taking the form of of a servant, who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a shameful cross, this lofty and exalted one humbled himself and then was shamefully lifted up on that cross on a stake, on a public thoroughfare in order to bear and lift up our sin, our debt, the crushing weight of wrath that our shameful self-exaltation deserves. And through that lifting up on the cross, bearing, carrying our shameful, prideful sin, He lifts us up out of the pit of our pride. So shortly after that donkey ride into Jerusalem, the servant of the Lord said this, John 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And then Jesus says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Same language as Isaiah 52. So Jesus is saying, Glorify your name. Show your glory. And the Father says, I have and I'm going to. And so Jesus is lifted up so that we can see the glory of our God. If you want to see his glory, look to the cross. If you want to see the love and the justice of God kiss with beautiful radiance, look to the cross. If you want to see the glory of God, look to the cross. If you want to have any kind of hope before that white, hot, holy king when he comes... Rather than hiding under a rock, you can hide in Christ. So the glory of the servant of the Lord, the King of Kings, is the shameful cross. High and exalted, Jesus, high and exalted. (laughs) Ironic, glorious, shameful exaltation. It's not what we would have expected. So it's his surprising glory. But maybe we shouldn't be too surprised because already in Isaiah, I love this verse. There's another place where lofty and exalted is mentioned. And it's Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and exalted one. <laughs> Same phrase. Isaiah 57, 15. Who lives forever. Whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place 
and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit. Why? In order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So, we prideful, insecure, have to prove ourselves people. If we see this God with all of His glory, we are humbled. But that place of humility is where grace invades. And so His great gospel love, because He he dwells with the contrite and lowly of spirit to revive them, to lift them up. His great gospel love breaks through our hard, insecure, weak, have to prove ourselves, prideful hearts and shows us that we're loved at the cross, that we're accepted, that we're forgiven, that we're His. So then we don't have anything more to prove. Then we're free to humble ourselves and follow Him. We get filled up with His grace and so we become secure and we no longer are slaves to self-promotion. We start getting into God promotion. We want to make much of God. We want to reflect His glory. We're not going to boast in any supposed glory that we have. We don't. We're just moons. We want to boast in the Lord, the source of all light and life and truth. In His grace, His glory, His greatness. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. And how do we know Him? That He understands and knows me only through Christ. And so the shameful glory of the cross of Christ is our glory. Galatians 6.14, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are those who rejoice in the Lord, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in ourselves because in and of ourselves, there's no way we can stand. We're, it's, it's just so, it's such a cheap Glory-grabbing attempt that will always fall short and end in shame. We are those to whom Jesus has said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And so we can most gladly boast about our weaknesses so that the power of Christ will dwell in us. And we can be well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when we are weak, then we are strong. So Palm Sunday is a day for the death of pride. It's a day to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. That mighty hand is the... It's the same hand that became the hands on the cross. Tacked to that cross for us. It's the kind of might, that mighty hand is the kind of might that's strong enough to humble itself and become weak to live and die for us. Palm Sunday is a day to believe that the high and exalted one who inhabits eternity, who dwells on a high and holy place, also dwells with those of us who are oftentimes downcast and broken and have failed 
and are ashamed of ourselves again. He dwells with the humble, contrite, lowly of spirit. Not to kick us while we're down. Not to turn the knife. But to revive the spirit of the lowly. To revive the heart of the contrite. Do you need proof of that promise? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory on the cross. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So let's humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, that hand that is filled with grace and truth that was blood-bought on the cross. Because God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And just like Jesus was exalted, so one day we will be exalted. Do you believe that? Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that He may exalt you in due time. We don't need to self-promote. Our King will exalt us in due time. How much is cosmic acknowledgement worth to you? Well done, good and faithful servant. Is that a small thing? We don't need to live for ourselves. Our king died for us. We don't need to jockey for position. Our king took our deserved position on the cross. We don't need to climb any ladders. Our king bids us come down off the ladders. Just die to that foolish pride. Come off the ladders. It's such a weary, burdensome business trying to seek your own glory, trying to prove yourself. Come off your ladders, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, grace for your souls. He was lifted up that we may be lifted up and one day exalted with him forever. Let's pray. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom, your wisdom and knowledge, oh God. How unsearchable are your judgments and unfathomable your ways. Who has known your mind? Who has ever become your counselor? Who has ever given to you that it might be paid back to him again? For from you alone and through you alone and to you alone are all things. To you alone be the glory forever. In Jesus' name and only in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our humble, exalted Savior and Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen.